0: text for today is John 13, verses 31 through 38. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles as we read from Scripture this morning. Church, hear the word of the Lord. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This ends the reading of God's holy word.
1: Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you guys. Glad that you're here today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, if you will open to John chapter 13, we're going to be in there um, today. Um, Let me just take a moment and welcome you if you're new to Grace. uh, We are Bible expository preachers. We want to say that every once in a while uh, because we want people to understand kind of what we do here. Expository Bible preaching is verse by verse, chapter by chapter preaching throughout the Bible. And so that's kind of what we do here. And the reason why we do that is because we want you to know the Bible because we believe that the Bible is the best way for you to get to know who God is. And so as we jump into that today, uh, let me just kind of start us off. Let me me say this before we jump in. Um, We're doing baptism after this service. We're going to start a picnic. There are going to be hamburgers and hot dogs and all kinds of stuff. We're going to have like bouncy houses for your children. So if you want an afternoon off from your kids, you can leave them in the bouncy houses and just do that. We're going to sugar them up and send them home. Okay? That's what we're going to do. So we hope that you guys participate in that. And again, if you're new to Grace, this is a perfect opportunity for you to get connected with some of the people here at Grace. Just an opportunity for you to interact with some people. All right. So let me tell you where we are. Last week, we had the incredible privilege of being able to look at a passage of Scripture that was um, the example of humility. And if you remember, we talked about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And it was powerful because, for the most part, the concept of washing feet in the ancient world, like it is right now, was not one that was ever considered to be very pleasant. And so, in fact, we, what we, one of the things that we said last week was that in certain regions around Judea, it was actually illegal even for slaves to wash the feet of the people that, uh, that, uh, that, that uh, um, their masters. And, and, and here was something that was just, it was considered something to be, um, t- you know, just beneath every person. And so for Jesus to come forward and say, I'm going to wash the feet of the disciples was a both humiliating and humbling experience. And yet, when we read the text, it doesn't seem that Jesus is humiliated by doing something that most people would consider humiliating. One of the things that we talked about last week was the idea that humility is power restrained. And if you remember, I spoke directly to the men in the room and said, humility is not something that we tend to aspire towards. We are kind of a a dirty hairy, we'll get revenge, we'll be tough kind of culture. That's the kind of culture that our world around us breeds into into men. And so one of the challenges is for us to understand that humility is way more than just being demure and soft-hearted. Humility is power restrained. And if you don't have that power to begin with, you're not humble, you're just weak. And so when we look at Jesus and we think about him being humble, Jesus is not weak. He is filled with the strength and power of God himself. And yet at the same time, he chooses to demonstrate that in a restrained kind kind of way. And so as we think about this idea of both humiliation and humility, we enter into our text today. Now, as we talked about last week, there was a foundation for Jesus that allowed him to do this humiliating act without feeling humiliated. And it was three things that were in the mind of Jesus. Three things that were in the mind of Jesus. Number one was the fact that Jesus knew where he came from. He knew where he came from. And this has a huge implication for us today as well. And that is that many of us come from different kinds of backgrounds, right? We have different kinds of people. We have different races in this room. We have different socioeconomic levels in this room. This is a very diverse room. And as a result of that, it's not just diverse on the outside of who we are, it's diverse on the inside of who we are as well. Like, we come from different backgrounds. We have different background kind of experiences. And one of the beautiful things about that is that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, is you have the opportunity to be able to look in hindsight at certain things that happened in your life, both good and bad, and see that the hand of God was with you even when you weren't with him. I can look back on my life, and many of you know this about me, but I grew up in a very abusive background. And, and, and in that kind of background, I could have the tendency to look at that and just think, all these bad things happened to me. But one of the things that I've learned from being a Christian is that where I came from influenced who I am and where I am right now. In fact, I can look back on some of those bad things and see that the Lord himself was actively involved in shaping my character and my trust level for him. And so for us, for many of us, we have that same kind of background. Maybe, maybe you had the background where everything was great. Your father was a gracious man and your mother was a, was a pure woman, a great, a great person. And as a result, you were given all the benefits and the blessings of being growing up in that kind of environment, and to this very day, you look at your parents and you think, man, they were great. Well, you have the privilege as well of being able to look back on your past and look at it and say, wow, God did some incredible things in my past. He opened my eyes. He gave me a, a wonderful family. He put in front of me a future that I probably never would have had if it wasn't for these people in my life at this point in time. You have an incredible opportunity of being able to see God at work in your life. But Jesus didn't just have in his mind these three things, this this one thing. He had three things in his mind. He understood where he came from, that he came from glory and a grace. And then he understood where he was, that God told Jesus that he was going to have a mission. And he told him, this is who you are. Just in the same way, God has a mission for you, and He's told us who we are. And you have to recognize that when God puts a mission in front of you, it's going to be challenging. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. It's going to be easy times and there's going to be bad times. Satan's going to come against the mission that God has given to you, and other people will come against that mission as well. And there'll be times in your life where you're going to have to look at that and you're going to have to say, you know what? No, I need to stay the course. I need to move in this, I need to take my next step toward Christ. This last week, I have to be honest with you, I'm I'm just, because I've always, I told the Lord that I was never going to be like a plastic pastor, you know, what I'm talking about? Kind of guy who's like, my life's perfect and I have it all together. I don't and it's not. And so last week was a, I almost cussed, last week was a terrible week. It was a crappy week and uh, it was a terrible week. It was just a, it was a rough week. It was hard. It was difficult. And I just was like really down. And I had one of my elders, Jim Bauer, he just, he just pulled me aside on the phone. He said, Mike, and I just, I, I love this guy, I love all of our elders. But Jim pulled me aside, he said, Mike, you need to put your shoulder to the plow. And you just need to keep on pressing forward. And it was like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me that moment and said, you know what, that's exactly right. I know one thing, God told Kelly and I and the people and the elders and the, and the leaders of grace to build this amazing church. And I know that that's the thing that God called me to do, but sometimes things just get in your way. And one of the things that Jesus understood was that, 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 that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit were so connected together that his entire identity was rooted in what the Father said about him. So it didn't, watch this, it didn't matter what other people said about him, he knew what the Father said about him. And when you are loved, watch this, when you are loved with a perfect love, when imperfect love comes your way, you can bear it. Amen. Right? Right? You can deal with that. We need some more charismatics. Come on, let's go. Let's, we, can do, we can do this. Presbyterians are like, I want to. I'm just not sure if I... Right? So so, 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 they're, they're, so watch this, watch this, watch this. So, so Jesus kno- knew who he was, and this enabled him to be able to humble himself in front of people who were about to do some bad things to him. Jesus is... Laying, reclining, as, as was the custom in the East, around a table, and all of the disciples were laying there, and Jesus gets up and he takes off his outer garment, and he puts on what looks like to be a towel, like an apron. And he walks around the table and he starts washing the feet of the disciples, to which a silent hush goes over the disciples, because they're thinking to themselves, "What is he doing? How does a rabbi, a teacher of the law, how does he humble himself and humiliate himself to wash our feet? This is an outrage. And he goes from person to person to person, but two of the people that he, that, he, that he cleaned their feet, first was Judas Iscariot. And Judas, Judas is about to betray Jesus. He is about to lead him to the place where he is going to be hung on the cross. And Judas will betray him for 30 simple pieces of silver. And Jesus washes the feet of Judas, knowing the whole time that this Judas is going to be the one that betrays him. He humiliates himself to do that. And then to Peter. Peter, Peter's wonderful. Oh my gosh, Peter's great. Peter's the guy who jumps out of the boat and walks on the water with Jesus. Peter's the guy who in a little while is going to lop off the ear of the Roman centurion. He is the most gregarious. He is the most passionate of all the disciples, the apostles, for sure. And and, 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 and Jesus knows that Peter is going to also betray him. He's going to deny him. On the third time, Peter's going to cuss and he's going to say, I don't know him. Sometimes it's with your enemies that it's hardest to be humble. Sometimes it's hardest, watch this, sometimes it's hardest with your enemies to be humble because you believe and I believe, we all do, this is human nature. This, this isn't even a religious question right now, right? But we all recognize that when there is an enemy out here, I tend to, to see myself as the righteous one and them as the guilty one. And as a result of that, there is a self-righteousness in me, a self-salvation project going on inside me that says, if they'll just apologize, if we can get everything right, if all of these things will just work out, then everything will work out and I'll be okay. But Jesus actually marked something very different for us and said, this is your pattern, to humble yourself in front of those who come against you and to say, not I am the weaker brother but I am the stronger brother because I have power and I choose to restrain it. See, for us, as we enter into this text, to know where, we have go- where we've come from and to know whose we are, the third thing Jesus knew is where he was going. And if you're a Christian today, you need to understand this. You're going to heaven. And heaven is the place of permanent well-being. The place of permanent goodness. The place of permanent hope. There is no sorrow. There is no sadness. There is no fear. There is no worry. There is no division. There is no racism. There is no war. There is no hate. There is none of that. Heaven is the place where Jesus is, and Jesus abolishes all of that. And because Jesus knew where he came from, and where he who and whose he was, and where he's going, it allowed him to be humble in the face of his enemies. And I want to tell you that that pattern of knowing what we know inside our heads is the same thing that allows us to love other people, even the unlovable. And it's not easy, guys. Because and I've been through this myself. Sometimes it's easy just to be like, you know what, forget those people. You know, just just write them off. But it's not the picture that Jesus gave to us of what love looks like. And so I find it fascinating that we move from humility to Judas's betrayal, then into the definition of love. See, because today we have all kinds of definitions of love, but Jesus is about to give us the most profound definition of love for every single one of his believers. And it's supposed to be entrenched in our hearts. In fact, Jesus says, a new command I give you. Not a new insight, not a new direction, not a next step. I give you a command. This is what you should, thou shalt love. It's not optional for Christians. And it's not even optional for Christians who have enemies. We're called to love everybody. Now I want you to see what that looks like. If you will, John chapter 13, we're going to pick it up in verse 31, Judas, it's been predicted that Judas is going to betray him, and it says here in verse 31, when he had gone out, who is the he? When Judas had gone out. So they were reclining around the table, Judas leaves, Jesus says, this is the guy who's going to betray me. Jesus leaves all of the other disciples, and then look at what happens. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. Now is the son of man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So in verses 31 and v- verses 32, there are five times which, God, which, which the writer, John, uses the word glorify. Glorify, 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 glorify. There's also five times where he uses the word him. Not glorify me, but glorify him. Five times. him, 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 him. him right? These are, th- this is not about my glorification or your glorification. This is about the glor- how do we glorify God? And obviously, in a minute, we're going to look at love as the foundation of it. But what is it that we do? Like, what is the thing that we're called to do? So if you'll just look with me a couple of chapters later, at chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus tells you how he glorified his father, all right? So this tells us how we can glorify the Father and Jesus himself. John chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So I glorified you by accomplishing the work that you called me to do. God's given you a work. Just like Jesus had a work to do to accomplish, he's called you to accomplish something. And this week when I, when I was talking with um, Jim Bauer... One of the things that when he said, you know, he said, you've got to put your shoulder to the plow, you've got to continue to move ahead. What he was saying was, you gotta finish the work that God called you to. You got to finish this thing, and you can't get pulled off course. You have a work that God has called you to, and that work is not just something you do for pay, and it's not just something you do to advantage yourself. Those are fine things. But that work is designed by God, given to you from God to make him glorified. We're getting ready to baptize dozens of people here. And I just think about like, you have the opportunity in your work. Could be, guys, we're not being so clear on the definition of work that it has to be your nine to five. Your work might actually be outside your nine to five. Or it might be inside your nine to five. But you might have a work that God is, use, is going to use you for that is literally going to change the trajectory of somebody's heaven, of somebody's eternity. I mean, your kind words in the moment of despair for somebody may just echo out into somebody else's life being changed because you were there for them. Your words might actually, of correction, might actually be necessary to help somebody not fall into the cavern and the pit of sin that we all know as we walk the road of sin leads to suffering and pain. We've all done it. You have a work and that work glorifies God. It's not just about my purpose and it's not just about my making money and it's not just about my making friends. It's about purpose and meaning that God has given to you so that one day you'll be able to stand before the father and say God I gave you all this now to be clear none of your works will ever get you to heaven you can't do good things and then God smile down from heaven on you and say now you've done enough good works you can come to heaven it's not how it works you're either trusting in Christ's righteousness for your your salvation or you're not but, but watch this, watch this. But there is a kind of way in which God can smile down upon you based upon what you are doing or not doing. What is that? What do you mean? Well, I'm going to speak to moms for a second. Moms, I know you. I know you. You're frustrated with your kids sometimes. Sometimes you're like, I love you, but I'm about to end you, right? You know what that's like, right? Like, I love you, but I'm, you know, I'm going to throw you against the wall. You know, not really, but you know, I'm, just, I'm really upset. Like, but watch this. You never are going to stop loving that kid. Your commitment to them is unwavering. But there are times what they do, you just want to, you know, and then just put them right out of the house, right? Fortunately, we've never experienced any of that at our household. <laughs> Sorry, son. So in that kind of sense, the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Like, You know, he can put works inside of your life and say, I want you to do these great things. And and we could be like, no, no, I I need to make money or I need to do do this. See, this whole passage on love and service is about self-sacrifice. The way of Jesus is the way of people who have said, yes, I like my life and I like good things and I like all the blessings that come along with the life, but I'm willing to sacrifice some of those things for the sake of someone else. For the purpose of eventually not me, but glorifying God. That at the end of my days, I can say, Father, I persevered when people came against me or circumstances were against me or whatever happened, I endured to the end. I put my shoulder to the plow and I continue to plow through the hard times. After I gave this message, there was a mom who wrote me a, a, just a quick text and she said, thank you for saying that because I just needed to hear that sometimes you just gotta continue to put your shoulder to the plow that you just got to continue to take your next step toward Christ because what we do matters. So when Jesus, in this passage, when Jesus is talking about now the Son of Man is glorified, it's because of his obedience. He is looking forward to the cross, but recognizing that the effects of the cross are already immediate in his life. And the same thing's true for you, that you can look forward to heaven, but the effects of heaven are already immediate in some of our lives. We're not having to suck out the marrow of every single moment of this life because YOLO. Because for Christians, we YOLO twice. You live twice, not once. You live unto this life and then unto heaven. And and the result of that, the result of that is so beautiful that, that, that when we behold this in the future, I am now glorified because of it. Like it rebounds onto me. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord. More and more that we behold him and see him, the more and more we are transformed into his likeness. And in this passage, that likeness is both humility and servanthood. Humility and servanthood. In verse 34, he shows us what powers this self-sacrificial servanthood. What is it that powers this self-sacrificial servanthood? Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. Now hold on a second. That's not new. That's not the first time the Bible talks about loving other people. In fact, let's take a look at Leviticus 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. So this is an Old Testament principle that we're a tribe, Christians, Jews. We're we're a tribe, and our tribe is first. We love each other first. We care about each other first. We are with one another first. It's who we are. This is an ecclesia, a church. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own tribe, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When the Bible ends with something like, I am the Lord, that's an exclamation point. And God's saying, like, there is no other authority. It's like, done. You know, like, that's, just, that's he just dropped the mic and walked away. I'm the Lord. You know, and just walked away, right? That's what, that's what happens. But look again with me because Jesus picks this principle up in Mark and one of the hermeneutical principles that we understand about Bible interpretation is that when something happens in the Old Testament and it's carried over into the New Testament, that means it continues from the Old Testament into the New Testament. All right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So when you, when you hear that, what he's saying is love has to be all-encompassing right? It's got to encompass my brain. I have to know what I actually believe. So if you're a Christian who tends toward being a, a feeler, you need to study, right? Heart, if you're a thinker, but you're not a feeler, you need to tend towards some feeling, right? Soul, the deepest part of who you are, this, this, this Jesus is in me. And what we mean by that is he's in the deepest parts of my soul. The, the, the most inner recesses of who I am as a person, there is Jesus, strength. It is my will and my choice. I choose him every single day, right? The second's like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. In another passage summarizing the same kind of thing, it basically says that all of the law and all of the prophets, all the Old Testament can be summarized by these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Great commandment, right? Now, This is basically a summary of kind of like what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So when Jesus here says, I have a new commandment I give to you, he is talking about a new commandment, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm about to introduce you to the platinum rule. It is better than the golden rule. And uh, and the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But what is at the core, what is at the center of the Golden Rule? I'm gonna do unto you the way that I want you to do unto me. I'm gonna do unto you as I want you to do unto me, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, it's fine. But the problem, there are, there are, there are several different problems with it though. Um, and this is, the, again, the Golden Rule, fine, we're, we're good with it. It's in the Bible. It's part of it. But Jesus is introducing a new way of love. And it's very different than what we're talking about right now. Couple of challenges with the golden rule. Number one, um, I'm gonna love you the way that I want to be loved. But what if the way that I want to love is I want to be loved is distorted? What what if, for example, I'm a super rigid person and I believe that um, the best way for me to love other people is to do all the right things I possibly can. Now I want you to do to me, the same thing. But now what I've, now that what I've done is I've fallen into legalism, right? Or what if actually I don't really know how to love myself in a proper and appropriate kind of way? How then am I supposed to love you or ask for you to love me in that same way? So the foundation that Jesus gives us is very, very different here than the golden rule. It's in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. The first thing I want you to see is this. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. You don't have an option as a Christian to be an unloving person. You just don't. You, you, you can be, watch this, you can be an unloving person as a Christian, but the world, in a minute we'll see this, in the world has a right to call you not a Christian. All right? So you'll still go to heaven. You just got to be a jerk all the way there, you know? And gotta be like... <laughs> He won't do that. I'm just kidding. (coughs) Watch this. A new commandment I give you. It's not optional. It's a command. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That part, we got it already up here. It's in Mark 12 and Leviticus 19. But here's the difference. Just as I have loved you. I want you to love, but I want you to love one another just the way that I have loved you. What does that look like? I want you to um, look up on the screen. We're going to look at a verse here. Um, 1 John 4, 10 and 11. This is what 1 John says. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. The word propitiation is a theological term which means satisfaction. So there's a lot bound up in that rule. I'll summarize it real briefly. Because you've sinned and I've sinned, we owe God a debt that we cannot repay through additional good works. So it's not a ledger that says, if I have plus two over here, I can subtract two and I'll be okay because I'm neutral, right? That's not how it works. If I have a debt against God, the only thing that can absolutely satisfy that is a perfect sinless life. The only perfect sinless life ever existed was Jesus. And that Jesus's life is applied to my account as a propitiation, a satisfaction for God's wrath and his anger and his judgment upon my wickedness. And I've got some wickedness, and you do too. But because he loved us, he said, I'm going to put it on me, on my very own son. And he is going to take that upon himself, be punished on the cross, die a criminal's death as a sinless person. So let's read it again. In this is love, not that we love, we have loved, But God loved, sorry, in this is love, not that we have loved, but God, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us this way, we also ought to love one another this way. So let me boil this down to make it as simple as possible. God took a sinner like me and said, Mike, I choose you and I'm gonna give you a work. And that work as you put your shoulder to it, it, is going to glorify me. And I'm going to be pleased. But I chose you when you were a sinner and when you didn't like me at all. In the same way, are you supposed to love someone else who doesn't like you? So it's not, I'm going to do unto you so that I can get back from you something good. It is, I'm going to love you because I've been loved with a perfect love. I can humble myself before you because I've been loved with a perfect love. I can, be, I, I, can be, I can be weak in front of you because I have been loved with a perfect and whole love. And so when, when we look at this, this kind of love, this, this power, if you will, of love is so much deeper and better than any other source of love that we can have because it's perfection, it's rooted in perfection, it's rooted in eternity, it never alters, it doesn't change. It's not, it's not something that can be satisfied with our own efforts, but satisfied with the efforts of God Himself. God committed to you 100 percent and said, "I'm 100 percent all- in with you." That's what you need to know. I'm all in with you. There's nothing that you can do to damage that relationship where I'm going to walk away and say, "You're not my son anymore, where you're not my daughter anymore. I'm all in." And he says, Now, all I ask is that you love in that same fashion. You love in that same fashion. That when the unlovable comes to you, you say, I choose to love you, not because of me, but because of Jesus. I love you because of him, because of what he's done in me. I love you because of him, not because of me. And that love is rooted in the very nature and the character of God himself. And God himself empowers that love. Because I can hear the objections right now and some of us are thinking to ourselves, well, number one, I don't think I could ever love him again. I can't ever love her again. I can't love them again. No way. But that is if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because for some of us, when we've done something wrong, we want people to write us off. And therefore, we write people off. But if we love as God loved us, it means that in the midst of our sin and in the midst of our wickedness, God said, I'm gonna choose to love you. I'm gonna be all in with you. I'm for you. I'm in with you. But it's a hard thing to get. It's a hard thing to live out. It's an easy thing to understand. It's a difficult thing to live out. And Peter here doesn't understand this principle either. So let's take a look um, in verse 36. Simon Peter said to the Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will afterwards. Here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, Peter, right now, you can't come to heaven with me. You, 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 can't, come, you can't follow me right now. You've got to work, and you will stay here until the work is done. And by the way, just for some of you right now, just someone in here who, you know, loses someone young, the work was done. They glorified God with their young life this morning. This morning I was getting dressed and my daughter was watching um, a commercial at, um, for St. Jude's Hospital. How many of you have seen those commercials? Raise your right. Little children, bald from leukemia. It's a good look, actually. Um, but, but, but they're bald from leukemia and, and they're talking about it and talking about it. And, talk, and all I see is my little girl, You know, she's, she's nine, and she was just sitting there. She wouldn't say a word, but she just had tears streaming down her face. Tears streaming down her face. And I said, Katie, Claire, let me tell you something. And I got her on my knee, and I said, this is why we do what we do at Grace. This is why we do what we do with the church. This is why our family's in ministry. You have a little person like this, and they die. And there's no knowledge of Jesus, and their parents have no knowledge of Jesus, and that whole thing. There's no hope. The sadness that you feel, that's forever. I said, but... When somebody comes along and speaks life into a family like that and talks to a daughter who's 12 years old or 10 years old or eight years old about Jesus and talks to their parents, the suffering is temporary. And the, but the joy is forever and ever and ever. And, and that's, that's why we do what we do. That's not why I do what I do. That's why we do it. This is the work that you have been given, the satisfaction that's given in this life. And it's not just about, look, I hope you make a ton of money. I think that's important. That I want you all to have a ton of money. It's great. But these are the things that they go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And Peter, he doesn't get this. He, He misses this. He's like, Jesus, I want to go where you are right now. And it makes sense. Jesus has healed people. He's raised the dead. This is a guy who's dynamic and everyone wants to be around him. But Jesus is saying, where I'm about to go right now, you can't follow me. It's not your time. But one day you will follow me. One day you'll go, you'll come and you'll be where I am. And then Peter does something wrong. He takes a wrong turn. And this is a guy thing. I, I really think it is. I think it's a guy thing. Ladies, you can sit back. It's not your problem. Right here. Right. He's like, why can't I not follow you now? He says, I'll lay my life down for you. I'll do whatever it takes. Have you ever known, noticed that men are not good with small things, but they're good with the grandiose? Like, that's what we do. We're like, I'll die for freedom. You know, it's, it's, what, it's the kind of stuff that we like. We love that stuff. That's huge for us, right? And Peter's doing it right here. He's he's like, he's like, he's like I'll lay my life down for you, Jesus. I'll give you my everything. And, and Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, you're missing it right now. You've missed the whole thing. Here it is. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay your life down for me? Will you really lay your life down for me? In modern parlance, this is Jesus going, really? Is that what you're gonna do? Like, that, that's your answer. Like, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna lay your life down for me. Oh, way to go, man. That's awesome. Way to go. But, but really, what he's saying here is you can't do it. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, before the rooster (coughs) will not crow, it will not crow until you have denied me three times. Peter, you can't just commit with this grand gesture of saying, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm gonna do big things for you. Jesus is saying, no, you're actually gonna deny me really soon, like tomorrow. Tomorrow, you're gonna say three times, I don't know who the man is. I'm not that guy. I don't want anything to do with him. Because Jesus knew that Peter needed this in order for Peter to be able to come to the place in his spiritual life where he stopped depending upon himself and started depending upon Jesus. The power that, that, that is generated through the love that God's commanded us to give is given to us by God. The power is not me and you manufacturing that power. It's given to us by God himself. And Jesus understood this. There's a moment after his resurrection <coughs> where he's walking around with the disciples and he kind of pulls Peter to the side. We don't even know what's said. But we know human nature. And here's the resurrected Jesus. I can't even comprehend that. Like, I can't imagine watching him crucified and then walking around with him three days later. But Peter did. And we can imagine Peter saying, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I didn't... I denied you three times, and I'm not worthy to lead. And one of the things that we see about Peter through history is that he becomes at least second, if not first, in the church as we move forward. What Jesus said to him, we don't know. But we can imagine. Peter, it's not about what you're going to do for me. It's about what I'm going to do through you. Take your next step and put the next step in front of you and do the next thing. Put your shoulder to the plow, Peter. And one day, you'll follow me home. And everything will be okay. Father, a. It, uh, it is humbling. It is humbling for us sometimes too and humiliating sometimes for us to have to humble ourselves in front of others. And and yet you told us to do this. And you empowered us with wisdom that we know that you've been with us in our past, God, and that you've called us to be a certain kind of people because you've told us who we are. And that you promised one day, God, that you'll bring us home to heaven with you. And that has showed us the means by which we can do this. And Father, every single person in this room has a mission in front of them. And we know that that mission is fueled by love. Love that comes from what you've done for us, not what we've done for ourselves. It's the most beautiful picture of love in human history. It's the only picture that goes on forever and ever because it's rooted in the character and nature of who you are. Father, thank you for loving us with that kind of gravity And that kind of foreverness, it makes everything temporary in this world not so important. It's in your name we pray, amen.